ever have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Houston. We're excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends Podcast. Dee, how are you today? I'm amazing. It is sunny. <laughs> it has not been sunny in like two weeks, oh, I feel no. like. I'm rough. so excited. I'm going to get outside. <laughs> I'm great. How about you? Yay, I'm good too. I am loving the sunshine. It has been, it's cold though. It's it a lot cold. colder than I thought. <laughs> we have a refrigerator outside for like um, entertaining when we're entertaining outside. And sometimes I keep extra things in there. So this morning I had to go out in my pajamas and get milk. And I, the sun like fooled me. I thought it was going to be nice and warm. And I walked out the door in my pajamas and was like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> and I had flannels on and I still was like, oh my goodness. And it's crazy because I feel like even though it was rainy, there was one day this week where it was warm yeah. and rainy. Yeah. Now it's sunny and cold. Yeah. Atlanta weather is so strange. <laughs> it's so strange. But we're recording this in it's February and the show will probably go live in March. And right now already um, we're seeing cherry blossoms. So pretty. It's so pretty. And <laughs> the flowers are starting to bloom and it's starting to look a little bit like spring. So I won't lie. I have a little spring fever and I am ready to put winter to bed. I'm not. Winter's my favorite, but <laughs> I'm hoping for one good. We got snow. We did. But, I mean, it didn't. It didn't last. What? I mean, we were able to go outside and play in it. That's it. That's all. For like twelve hours. No more snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting the kibosh on snow. No, I like no at snow. least like a couple of days where you cannot leave the house, oh, and that didn't happen. But I think you should just like you should buy flight, buy yourself a plane ticket. Go I'll to, just send myself. Yeah, to the exactly, snow. exactly. Don't bring the snow to me. Take you take yourself to the snow. That's smart. Well, weather aside, um, everything else good? Everything else is great. Everything else is great for me too. And I'm really excited about today's show because we have a really fun topic and it is one that we're both a little bit a little bit separated from because neither of us have a, a child this young, but we are going to be talking about infant feeding. And um, as some of you may know, but a lot of you probably don't know, I started my career in clinical pediatrics. So I worked a lot with babies and, um, and worked with some feeding difficulties. And I loved working with this age group. I loved working with the families. And I really enjoyed both learning about this topic and also um, helping parents kind of navigate the issue of feeding their babies. So it, it was a lot of fun for me early in my career. And then when I became a mom, I was like, everything's different when it's you. Isn't it mm, true? Yeah. Like I, I thought I knew all about feeding babies and then I had a baby and I was like, what do I do? Because not one, not every baby like conforms right. to like the greater, wider knowledge. They're yes. like, ah, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, and then the other is we kind of bring our own emotion to yes. feeding, our own culture to feeding. And so that can be problematic. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you saying? No, you're right. I mean, I, and I think, you know, the thing is too, is I think, you know, there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge. Mm. And when you, when you have a baby, 
at least I, in my experience, you know, everything I thought I knew, I had to question for myself. Like I, mm-hmm. I thought I knew something and then I had to go back and, and relearn it and think to myself like, okay, I know this is what they said, but this <laughs> is, is this true? Yeah. yeah. And is this true? And is this safe? And is this right? And I questioned everything. And I also found that I was a very um, sort of intuitive mother. Like I really kind of looked to myself a lot to figure out things. And not that I didn't look for outside help. I did. And I asked lots of questions and looked for expertise. But I also really um, learned early, and I'm glad I did, to trust my own instincts about how to feed my child and what to do with him and um, both breastfeeding and and then early infant feeding and and still. And he's six now. And um, so far, I've kept him alive and he still eats food. So (laughs) I feel really accomplished. And see, my experience is completely different. You know, I was 21 when I had Joshua and I wasn't as well read then as I am now. Mm. So I didn't really pay attention to any experts at all. It was just like, well, you know, the first thing I know is I want to try to breastfeed. So let's do that. Okay. Well, I'm done with that. Let's just go formula. Okay. Well, he seems to like, you know, to want what I have on my plate. Let's just try that. Yeah. Um, so he was like my first pancake child. <laughs> <laughs> what did, tell me what that means. <laughs> that pancake mean, you child. know, when you make the first pancake, you know, oh, it's not yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of mess it up. Um, definitely did not toss him to the side. Oh Love no. You, Josh. Um, but it, I eat that was, first pancake every time. I mean, it's still delicious. <laughs> um, but it was kind of like, ah, oh, let's just see what happens. Yeah. You know? So my, my approach with Everett was a little different. And I wonder if that made him, cause he's a little neurotic about food. <laughs> so, I, don't know, I don't know what that impact may have had on him, but yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It, that's so funny. How many years difference between the two boys? Seven. Seven. So, so that's, so that's kind of, I think the gift of this show, hopefully to our audience and also to myself. And when my son was born six years ago, you know, things were very different yeah. in, in the last six years what we know about infant feeding has changed a lot. Guidelines have changed a lot. And so I'm really excited to welcome Melina Malkani to our show. Welcome to the show, Melina. Thank you so, so much. I I just so enjoyed listening to you ladies chat. Just now it's so <laughs> lovely to be here. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, um, Melina is an expert in child feeding. So we're going to, I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to dive into this topic and, and we're going to let her walk us through some important updates and share some of her experiences too. So Melina is a registered dietitian nutritionist and trusted nutrition expert in local and national media outlets and publications. She owns a lifestyle nutrition company and a private practice and you can find her at melinamalcani.com and I'll make sure I put that on the um on the show notes so you can find those. So she's dedicated to providing parents with tools, kid-friendly recipes and programs that make it easier to feed the entire family a mostly plant-based, nutrient-dense whole food diet that they'll actually eat. <laughs> That's such an important part of it, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. So yeah. she she has a new book called Simple and Safe Baby-Led Weaning, How to Integrate Foods, Manage Portion Sizes, and Identify Allergies, and a new online co- uh, course for parents called Solve Picky Eating, which launched earlier this year. And Melina is a national media spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the Director of Nutrition at Rejuvenan, a personalized digital wellness and telemedicine platform. So she knows her stuff and um, I'm super excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry. It's so good to be here. And it's, it's just always lovely to chat with ladies in this kind of a 
you know, a nice relaxed environment. So right. And our fun. audience <laughs> is um, overwhelmingly women. So <laughs> as you would imagine, <laughs> with a show called Southern Fried Girlfriends, we are all about our girls, all about all about the women out there and women's health and empowering women and helping women navigate some of the um, confusing topics around health and nutrition, especially. And I think feeding babies is an area where there's a lot of confusion. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. I would. And actually, I was just listening to you talk. Um, and I was thinking about how truly every baby really is on their own little path. Um, and so not only have some of the recommendations changed um, in recent years, but, you know, it's it's sometimes difficult because there is a recommendation, but it isn't something that is just so cut and dry. Mm -hmm. um, for example, when exactly to start solids. And I get a lot mm. of questions from folks, usually on Instagram saying, but, but what, but when should I start? Mm -hmm. Tell me exactly when should I start my baby on solids? And not only have those recommendations changed, but it's not such an easy answer. You can't necessarily say, start your baby on the six month birthday, mm -hmm. because there are also signs of readiness that are really important to look for. Um, and depending on if you had a preemie or maybe your baby was um, a little bit late and is actually ready a couple of weeks earlier than that six month birthday. So there's just, it, there's, there's just not often a very easy answer to a lot of these questions. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can cause, I think, some of the confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. uh, in my experience, nutrition is kind of like that. You know, it's it's um, the most common answer I give when somebody asks me a question about nutrition is it depends. I because... knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I it really yeah. does. I mean, and I think that, you know, we, I think oftentimes both as nutrition professionals, so registered dietitians, and as parents and as people, you know, we want black and white answers to our questions. We want things to be right and wrong, and we don't want to have to make a lot of judgment calls because that can be a little bit scary. But I think that when it yeah. comes to infant feeding and child feeding, it really, there is a lot of gray, and that's okay. I mean, I think that gives children autonomy to develop in the way that is appropriate for them. And we we also do, though, have these really helpful guidelines that can give us information and help us identify problems if there are problems, but also help us make a move if we're not sure we're ready. Like if we're nervous about starting solid foods, then knowing that we should be starting solid foods around six months is a very helpful guideline. Does that make sense? It really does. And I'm so glad before that you mentioned um, that you were um, and probably are still a very intuitive mom um, because I I end up, you know, yes, there are so many wonderful guidelines and they're helpful in kind of keeping people on a path toward a healthy uh, structure of, of feeding and, and um, healthy guidelines around food and feeding. But at the end of the day, a lot of us just need to trust our guts when it comes to food and feeding with infants and babies. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, and that's a good, that's also a good guideline and mm -hmm. a good sort of um, way to steer yourself to just, yeah. just trust that. Yeah, I agree. And so let's back up just a little bit and tell us about your own experience maybe with your family. You have kids. I do. I do. And I, I'm probably why I'm so comfortable in this group here is I have three girls. And I'm a single mom, and I've got two female cats, and we've, we've got a lot of femaleness. <laughs> a lot of estrogen. In my house. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so my girls are 10, 8, and almost 7. 
and they were all born within about three and a half years. So my early days of feeding infants uh, was (laughs) intense. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really intense and wonderful and so wonderful. Um, But I learned so, so much. Um, And I love, Dee, I love your reference to that first pancake Um, (laughs) because I learned a lot, especially with my first baby. but but the recommendations really have changed quite a bit. And so back 10 years ago when I was feeding my first baby, I kind of followed all the rules yeah. that were in place for me. Then I started her at four months with purees. Um, and then I, you know, progressed from purees to lumpy and then to finger food. And um, I wasn't as familiar with the idea of responsive feeding. Mm. And so as time passed, um, and my second baby came along, you know, I had, I already had a baby and the little one was watching my older child. And she was in general, pretty irritated whenever I would try to spoon feed her. Anyway, she, she really wanted to drive her own bus. <laughs> and she still to this day, she was like, just get that away from me and give me some food. Um, and so I kind of dumbled on baby led weaning sort of before I even knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time the third came, then it was just such chaos that you know (laughs) she she was just watching the other two and grabbing food off their plates and she was she just really guided the process herself so so funny yeah it kind of um it it it, and it's funny because to look back and even just within the last five years or so if I were to look at kind of who has been the most problematic eater or the pickiest eater um, it's my oldest. Yeah. So the one that I started on purees and followed those those sort of outdated guidelines, um, and the other two just sort of went with the flow and were very amenable to any texture or flavor. Isn't that interesting? Um, That's fascinating. That's exactly yeah. how it is with Joshua and Everett. Yeah. Joshua, he just it was just like, okay, he looks like he's ready for this. Let's do that. Yeah. Here you with go. Everett, I was like, this is what it says. This is what we got to do. <laughs> this is what the book says. And he like has bit, lots of texture issues, uh-huh. lots of color issues. Um isn't yeah. that isn't that interesting? So, um, going back just as a little point of de- definition, can you explain what responsive feeding is for somebody who might have heard that and been like, "I don't know what that means." What is that? Can you explain that? Yes, yes. So, responsive feeding is a method of feeding that actually um, the World Health Organization back in 2002, when they changed their recommendations from starting solids between four and six months to starting solids around six months with signs of readiness, they also brought responsive feeding into that definition of, uh, or into their recommendations of how it's best to start solids. And by responsive feeding, it means listening and watching the baby for their own signs of hunger and fullness and reading those cues and then responding to them in the moment. So for example, and, and people ask a lot, well, is, is it possible to do responsive feeding while spoon feeding? And, and in my opinion, opinion, the answer is absolutely yes. Yes. Um, and it's just a, a, a method of, and this is where trusting the gut and, and, the, and the motherly instinct is really powerful because every baby is going to kind of give cues in their own way. I mean, there are some universal cues like, shaking the head and mm-hmm. pursing the lips. Um, and some babies, you know, 
throw the spoon. I was about to say the grabbing spoon. the spoon, throwing it down. Like, <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. done. <laughs> yes, yes. So sometimes it's very obvious. Um, some babies, not so much. And so um, knowing your baby and, mm-hmm. and responding to and seeing those cues. Mm-hmm. Um, is that's all a part of responsive feeding. Yeah. When you, when you said that, what, one of the things that reminded me of is, um, so, you know, when you have a baby, a lot of times they'll say like, you need to feed your baby every three to four hours. You need to feed your baby every three, you know, you need to get a schedule going start and, with two ounces. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, and yeah. I nursed my son when he was born and I, um, you know, remember, First of all, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit of a, like, let's just be honest. I'm a little bit of a skeptic naturally. So I kind of listen to what people say and then I ignore it most of the time. (laughs) Also, I'm a dietitian. So I kind of came in with my own like opinions on things. And, but in the hospital, you know, the person like the lactation consultant was awesome. And she came in and she talked to me and she was like, you know, you need to do this and this and this. And then like, they left me a sheet of paper that said, you know, you should be nursing every so often, whatever. And then I came home and I was like, you know what, I'm going to feed this baby when he's hungry. And sometimes he was hungry every 30 minutes. And sometimes he was hungry every three hours. So I fed him whenever he was hungry. And that was kind of how we just, that's how our relationship nursing went. And that's how I kind of did early feeding as well. So we did have like meals, you know, we, we had, when I started introducing solid foods, we had them at mealtime. When we were eating, we had food for him too, so that he kind of got used to being at the table with us. But in the between, if he was hungry, I fed him and I didn't stick to those really rigid rules. And also I think um, I think, first of all, I'm a big proponent of breastfeeding. I think if you can breastfeed, you should breastfeed. It's great for you. It's great for the baby. Sometimes it doesn't work and not every mom mm-hmm. wants to do that. And I think that's fine too. When you're breastfeeding though, it's a lot harder to know how much they're eating. <laughs> it's kind of like, yes. I don't know. I mean, uh, he just nurses until he's done. I don't know how much he got, but he seems happy or he seems and I like feel he's still empty, hungry. So. Yeah, exactly. Something yes. definitely happened. So I think the good thing about that though, is that it, it taught me early that I didn't know how much he was eating, but I knew when he was full and I knew when he was still hungry because you kind of have to pay attention to that when you're nursing. And so that was a really, that was an easy transition for me from nursing to solid foods because I'd already learned to pay attention to his hunger and fullness cues because I was nursing. Do you think that that's true for you or, or for what you've seen oh. in your clients and patients? Uh, that's so smart, Sherry. It's such a, it's a, that's such the definition right there of intuitive mothering and sort of the birth of intuitive eating. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I really love baby led weaning. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was writing this book, I did a lot of research on kind of where where we went, where where we went off in terms mm. of when purees became sort of the cultural norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and everything that you just said was making me think about some of the research I did, which is that um, back in the early 1900s, doctors were advising mothers to breastfeed on that strict schedule with a mm. certain number of hours in between feeding. And they didn't, there wasn't yet this understanding that frequent breastfeeding or breastfeeding on demand was necessary for the stimulation of that milk supply. And so the mothers weren't making enough milk to satisfy their hungry babies. And so, so that's when infant quote unquote solids were recommended in the form of cereals, pureed cereals for babies as young as two months. Wow. Um, And they had to be spoon fed because they were so young. They Mm. they obviously at that point couldn't feed themselves, but 
that seems to have led to this cultural assumption that purees and spoon feeding are the only way to start babies on solid foods. Mm. And it perpetuated over time and sort of led us away from that beautiful um, intuitive process that you just described, mm-hmm. which is just such an, such a natural and easy way of feeding and sort of the way that we're born to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, in, in my mind, um, I think it's kind of where we've gone off a little bit in terms of losing that sense of self-regulation mm. of food and listening to, you know, even beyond infancy, losing that ability to listen to our own cues for hunger and fullness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I think also yeah. the, I think also that what this made me think of is the, um, the, the whole advent of, of chill, of food for children or child food, or, you know, kind of this, the, the children's menu, if you will, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, there was a time when everybody just ate food and there was food, there was, you know, breastfeeding and formula, and then there was food. And then there was infant food, right? There was puree. And then there was toddler food. And then there was the children's menu. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's this idea that, that kids. Chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. I know, right? Oh. <laughs> there's this idea that kids need like some sort of specific menu that's different from what adults eat. And I think in some ways it's true because things need to be modified to the right form so that food is safe, but children don't need to be protected from adult food. They don't need this long transition from from early feeding into sort of eating an adult diet. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, I, I look at sort of the progression um, and when, when babies are being offered um, rice cereal, as a first food and as sort of an assumption that there's a, there's this assumption that, that even infant food needs to be bland mm-hmm. um, and it needs to be this sort of uh, processed refined carbohydrate type of food. Well, then it makes sense that down the road, the palate is really only going to be accepting of these types mm-hmm. of foods. And so that thus is the children's menu was sort of <laughs> um made necessary in a way because that's how we've conditioned their palate mm-hmm. to to grow but um but that's a misconception that mm-hmm. baby food should be bland and that it should have you know that it shouldn't have some texture it shouldn't have some flavor um and i would argue that during that that the, the beginning of those first few months it's a very short um it's a very quick time period i mean starting solids it's over before you know it yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, in the context of raising children, but their palates are mo- um, arguably the most open they'll ever be mm-hmm. at that point to flavor. And so, um, you know, getting them used to all manner of different minimally processed nutrient dense whole foods mm-hmm. is a great idea during those first few months. Cause then you don't, then you don't have those issues down the road of where the children's menu is the, uh-huh. <laughs> the only thing they want to eat. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about, so we've talked a little bit about sort of where we started and may have gone wrong, right? So sort of in this um, breastfeeding to formula or breastfeeding or formula, I don't want to vilify formula, I'm not. I think that sometimes it's necessary and it's always the best choice when breastfeeding isn't possible or is not the choice. So, but when people, when babies transition from nursing or from breast milk into solids, and then the idea of purees and spoons as the only way was not right, but what tell us a little bit about baby led weaning 
for people who might not be familiar with it, what is the, what's the idea or the philosophy behind baby led weaning? Sure, sure. Yeah. And you know what, I'm glad you asked that because there are a lot of misconceptions around, you know, what baby led weaning is and even what the term means. Um, Because the weaning part can be a little bit confusing for people. Um, Baby led weaning is a method of starting solids. That involves skipping over purees, uh, spoon, you know, spoon feeding purees. It can include purees, um, but skipping over the spoon feeding only part and offering baby finger foods from the family table, um, incorporating them into family meals, and having them. This is the most important part, the kind of the crux of baby led weaning, having them self feed and decide whether and how much to eat, mm-hmm. um, and having the baby lead that process doesn't mean stopping breast milk and or formula. Yeah, I think that's, that's such an bit. important piece because I have found that so many women are hesitant to start solids because they don't want their babies to stop breastfeeding. Right, right. And that's, and it's so, I can't stress that enough. It, breast milk and or formula are still going to be the main source of nutrients throughout the first year of life. Mm-hmm. So baby led weaning is a method of, of offering complementary foods. Yes. Not necessarily, yeah, not not stopping the breast milk and formula. So that's important. Um, some some people call it baby led feeding, which is a little bit um, maybe easier to wrap your mind around mm-hmm. <laughs> with with all of these definitions in mind. Um, it doesn't re- as long as you as long as you're doing the baby led part. I don't really care what it's called. So, <laughs> you know, it's just. Um, it's really, I think it's a great way to set baby up for a really healthy relationship and positive relationship with food and feeding going forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, you kind of, I think you've already alluded to this a little bit. And in my mind, you know, early feeding is about a lot of different things. It's not just about nutrition. Certainly there is the hope that the foods that baby gets early on are going to be nutrient rich and they're going to add to the diet, um, add to breast milk and add to formula, not necessarily replace, but add to it, add additional nutrition. But it's also about developing the palate, developing an exception, acceptance of textural differences, it's learning the um, the mastication, right? Learning to chew and eat and manipulate food in their mouth. So it's about development, appropriate development. And it's also about allergy prevention, right? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. And also about um, developing those, I think you, you mentioned this, but developing those feeding skills. Yes. Uh, there's so many skills and even those fine motor skills that are involved in picking up a piece of food and grasping it and bringing it up to the mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just, there are, there's such a wealth of amazing developmental growth that Mm -hmm. happens around food and feeding for babies. Yeah. Um, To me, it's, it's so exciting. Um, (laughs) I agree. And (laughs) really, it's just such a, it's such a rich time of, of their development in life and, and can be such a wonderful basis for, a really wonderful relationship with food going forward. That's, and I'm sure as a dietitian, um, you would agree with me, Sherry. It's not just about getting the nutrients into the baby. Um, we, I mean, we're looking at the entire life cycle of yes. nutrition, not just those few months where, yes, their iron stores are are low. I mean, we make sure that the that they're getting enough iron and that they're getting enough calories and healthy fats and all of that. But it's also about what is this going to mean for baby throughout the rest of the life cycle and the relationship with food? Yes, 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. And I'm going to, so I'm going to tell on myself about the one thing that I know (laughs) that I did wrong. (laughs) Here is the one thing I know I did wrong. I, first of all, I used like a very kind of common combined method of feeding early on, which I don't think is what I did wrong. I think that was fine. I think we used, we used purees and we used lumpy and we used all kinds of different things. So we, we, I just kind of fed him all kinds of things, which was what I wanted to do and which I think was the right thing to do. But my, the where I went wrong was that I didn't let him stay dirty. I didn't let him like play in the food and really make a big mess. I was always cleaning up in the midst of him eating and I was always wiping his hands and wiping his face. And now even at six, he cannot stand for his fingers and his hands to get sticky and messy. Even whether he's eating or he's not, he like, he does not like that. And he never has. And it's all my fault. (laughs) I broke him. You're so honest. I love it. I'm, you know what? I'm cut from the same cloth. The mess is tough. I yeah. mean, it really it's it's tough. It's tough to take. Um, there's a whole section in my book on how to just embrace the mess. Yeah. And maybe contain it a little bit. <laughs> but but it, it, it's messy. Feeding babies yeah. is messy. It really is. Oh, some of that may also just be nature. Because, yeah. you know, I think about Everett and where I I was not a wipe the face, wipe the hands every 10 (laughs) seconds while you're eating type of mom, but he's still like that. Really? He does not like sticky stuff on his hands. Hates it. Uh, If I'm thinking about the thing that I did wrong, and this is only in retrospect because, again, back to my picky eater, Everett, he is a kid that he loves strong flavors, like Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese is the only cheese that he really likes. His um, bonus mom is Moroccan. He loves her cooking, Uh um, loves those really, really strong flavors. Um, He's a teenager, by the way, now. (laughs) (laughs) But when I think about when I introduce um, solids to him, it was jarred baby food Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, very, very bland. And he, like from the first time that I tried to put peas in his mouth, he hated it, like (laughs) hated it, hated it, hated it. And I don't remember him eating even a quarter of a jar of baby food ever. Wow. Um, and he is a super picky eater now. So I wonder if I had tried to give him like food from the table Mm -hmm. that actually had, you know, seasonings and spices and all that kind of stuff. And would his relationship with vegetables be different? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can only, we can only look at those things uh, in hindsight, you know, and I, I think as, first of all, as a mom, like we have enough guilt, like all of us, <laughs> don't you think? Like, I don't know. I ask myself every week, like, am I really, am I screwing this up or what? Like I, <laughs> I'm, I always, I, there are times when I go to bed and I look at the day and I'm just like, I just, everything I did today sucks. just put a little aside for therapy later. Exactly. Exactly. Right? I know. It's so true. It's so true. We have to cut ourselves some slack. Yeah. We really, there's the, there's, so much it's, and it's a long road and we're yeah. all just doing the best we can and yep. yeah. you, know, you take the evidence you take all the you know, the guidance and then you just do your best yeah oh yeah <laughs> absolutely in every single area so so okay so now we understand what baby led weaning is and all the things that we've done wrong and not all the things but <laughs> but so so let's talk a little bit about um determining a child's readiness. Like what do you, I know, of course we've got the guideline of four to six months, right? So, so, so there's the six month kind of window that we know that, that virtually all babies should start solid foods 
by around six months. That's what the new, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease says, and the AAP says that by six months, babies should be starting solid foods. So how do you know as your baby is like getting to be four months old, five months old, approaching that six month mark, how do, what are the signs that you should be looking for that your baby's ready to start solid foods? Yes. Great, great question. Um, So maintaining an upright sitting position with minimal support is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a really good first thing to look for. It doesn't mean, I mean, you can, if your baby is kind of just slumps a little bit in the high chair and you roll up a couple of dish towels and give them a little support by the hips there and they can sit up, then that's, I think that's fine. Um, but being able to just maintain that uprighting sitting position is important. And also holding the, the head and the neck still while seated. If they're, if they're kind of bobbling, if the head is kind of bobbling around, then that's, that's they're not, it's not ready. Mm-hmm. They're not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, having uh, like regularly grabbing larger objects and then bringing them up to the mouth is a sign of readiness for solid foods, as is having an interest in mm-hmm. food and kind of, you've seen the baby, you know, they kind of lunge for your plate mm-hmm. um, yep. or just really track you with their eyes and watch while you're, while you're eating. Um, this is a sign of readiness. And then also that tongue thrust reflex yes. needs to have disappeared. Um, and those are kind of the five main signs of readiness for solid foods. There's other signs that, that do not indicate readiness that people often think do indicate a readiness for solid foods, which I think is interesting. Um, like having teeth. If a baby has some teeth, it doesn't necessarily mean they're ready for solids. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I would have thought, okay, they've got yeah, teeth. They're right? ready. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, that, that showing an interest is a big part of it. You know, if the baby, like you said, if they're lunging forward, if they're chewing their mouth along with you, that's a pretty good yeah. indication that they're ready for some solid foods, right? Yep. 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 Definitely. Um, and that, that, that interest is really important too, because that's going to, that's going to make the whole process so much more enjoyable for Mm -hmm. for baby, which is part of it too. Mm -hmm. Um, you want it to be an enjoyable, pleasurable experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what if you're a mom who, um, thinks your baby's ready and you start and then you find that they're not ready? What should you do? Good question. Yeah. I would recommend waiting a week. Okay. I mean, things happen so fast yeah. at this stage. Wait a week. You know, it, it, that's even the, the case with certain textures of mm-hmm. foods. For You know, if you've started and there's a certain food that seems to cause a lot more gagging than other foods or seems to be problematic, just wait a week. Give it a, give it a, a, a you know, a rest for a week and then come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because those developmental changes happen so rapidly that a week is sometimes all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what about where to start? Like, what do you recommend if we're not going to start with rice cereal or if rice cereal or cereals isn't where we start, where do you think people Mm. should start or what do you advise your clients on? What are the first foods you recommend? What textures? How do you think they should get started? Yeah, absolutely. So texture, I'm glad you mentioned texture because when people think about finger foods, they often think about um, what size should I offer? Um, and forget about texture. And texture is probably even more important at this stage than the size of the, of the finger food. Um, and any food offered to babies, uh, especially to start, needs to be able, uh, you need to be able to squish it mm-hmm. really easily between your own index finger and thumb so that baby can easily 
gum it <laughs> and mm-hmm. manage it to man- manipulate it in the mouth. Um, so super soft. Uh, we mentioned iron previously, but but the first foods really do need to be great sources of iron because at around six months, babies' iron stores um, have more or less usually been de- depleted or are low. And so it's time to start building that iron back. So they should be iron-rich foods. Um, some of my favorites are tofu, um, which is also a really great texture for babies. Mm-hmm. Um, egg is another really great one. A lot of people like to start with meats. So um, you could do a finger of hamburger or a little bit of um, a fish or like a flake of fish. Um, and then offering a vitamin C rich food along with that iron rich food is a great way to boost the iron absorption mm-hmm. um, because vitamin C uh, helps the body better absorb that iron. Mm-hmm. Um, so some sort of a food or a vegetable that's a great source of vitamin C, like broccoli, that's been soft steamed. Mm-hmm. You can offer a stick of broccoli or um, a little bit of mango, um, something that has a lot of vitamin C. And then the third food that I like to recommend to round out the meal is something that's energy rich. So something that is has a nice amount of healthy fat, a lot of calories, um, something like avocado or a little bit of pancake. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're, we got a pancake theme going on today. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I like to think about um, any sort of like a pancake or a, or a toast uh, made with whole grains mm-hmm. to get baby used to those whole grain flavors. Mm-hmm. So a nice three component sort of combination. Mm-hmm. And I think there was this, um, I think there was this recommendation and, and I still see this sometimes, um, to start with one food at a time over two or three days and not to introduce other foods, um, during that time, new foods during that time. Do you, do you recommend that? Well, it's interesting. And we, you know, I'd love to get into the sort of, um, the allergy, this piece of this, yeah. uh, because food allergies really do play a, a role or the prevention of them in this whole starting of solids. Um, with regard to, you know, whether to space it out, it's really a personal choice. And I think it depends on whether your baby is at risk for food allergies. Mm-hmm. And if not, you know, with, with the top eight allergens, I do recommend waiting a day in between each um, and not offering them as a part of a mixed food, just so that if there is a reaction, you really can parse it out. Um, and determine where it came from. But for other foods that aren't necessarily top allergens, um, I, I, it, it, it's really your level of comfort. Mm-hmm. I didn't personally wait. I just offered them and my kids were not at risk for allergies and uh, and they were fine. And I think, um, you know, my, my, my goal with the book was really to reduce fear and feeding yes. around allergies and gagging and choking and all the components of starting solids and chances are um you know your children are not going to have a reaction and so i don't you know i don't like to kind of um i don't know maybe you can you can speak to this better than i can (laughs) well yeah i mean i think i think 
there are there is a lot of fear around feeding babies and allergies and i think a lot of it is not necessary but let's talk first about what risk is what what who's at risk and who's not cuz i think that's helpful for parents to understand is my baby at risk or is my baby not at risk or at lower risk let's just say we can never say that there's a baby's not at, at any risk cuz we don't know that for sure for every baby there are people there are children who go on to develop food allergies who have no risk factors or no known risk factors but most babies who go on to develop food allergies have some risk factors. The most mm -hmm. common risk factors are um, having eczema, especially moderate to severe eczema. So like a quarter of babies are going to have some sort of eczema. And if it's just a little mild eczema that comes and goes, it's not a big deal. That is not something that we're talking about. But but if it's if a baby develops moderate to severe eczema with lots of um, sort of openness in their, in their skin, those babies are at high risk or higher risk for developing food allergies. So if you've got a baby that falls into that category, then you should probably talk to your pediatrician pretty early about when to start solid foods and how. And then if you've got a baby who's already exhibiting some signs of allergy, um, for instance, if they've if they've already had a reaction to one food, then you want to be more cautious about introducing other foods. But the good news is that babies, even if they do have a reaction to a food, even if they end up having a food allergy, babies in general have pretty mild reactions. They're less likely to have anaphylaxis, which is like the most severe kind of reaction than other older children. So waiting to introduce, some people, we used to think, I think, you know, professionals thought, allergists thought, experts thought that if you waited a while until a baby was older or until they were even into toddlerhood, um, the immune system had time to develop and then they were less likely to develop food allergy. But the reality is, and what we've learned through the research is exactly the opposite. Babies are, our bodies are um, sort of experiencing the world. Our immune systems are experiencing the world very, very early. And if they have this broken skin, they're already being exposed to allergens in the environment. And that can make them more likely to develop a food allergy. But if we introduce those foods at the same time as they're having that exposure through the skin, then the body learns to tolerate it. It learns this is not something that's bad. It's actually something that's fine. And the the, I think the research, you know, that the we're most familiar with, of course, is the LEAP study that happened in 2016 or was released in 2016. And the LEAP study showed that um, among these high-risk infants that had either this severe, moderate to severe eczema or egg allergy or both, those babies had an 86% reduction in the risk for developing peanut allergy as compared to the ones who didn't start eating those foods early. So the older a baby is when we introduce in this high risk category, the more likely they are to have a reaction. So you want to start a little bit earlier with those babies and be less fearful about it. But I always say, you know, if parents yeah. are afraid. <laughs> it's hard. Earlier and less fearful. Yeah. But, I mean, what you've said makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think yeah. the research is empowering it. And, you know, Melina, you can speak to this if you, if you have an opinion on it as well. But I think that if you have risk factors and you know that you have a baby who's going to have a little bit more risk, you can do something about it now through early introduction. And in the past, there was nothing that they could do. You know, there was no proactive step that people were able to do. So now, you know, the recommendation of what I talk to people about is, um, is having some proactive 
steps. So the first thing is trying to get skin control early. So, you know, moisture control, controlling the eczema, reducing the eczema early, getting a handle on that early, and at the same time, starting to introduce solid foods when the baby's development, developmentally ready, but certainly not after six months. You know, I think by six months, if you've got a baby who's high risk, you need to introduce these foods so that you can reduce their risk of developing it. Would you agree with that, Melina? Yes, absolutely. And I, I love the piece. I think the piece that people um, maybe aren't hearing as often, which is really comforting, which you just said is that babies, infants are often have a much, a much milder reaction if they're going to have a reaction. And so I, you know, I have a lot of questions from parents, well, should I have an EpiPen handy? And you know, I'm, I'm afraid to start, you know, but at the end of the day, the reaction, the initial reaction is likely going to be very mild mm -hmm. and it's just it's going to be something that then you go to the pediatrician work with an allergist and you come up with if necessary an emergency action plan that's right for your baby but you know those those life-threatening uh those really scary reactions um are not they're they're rare during infancy yeah would you so, say that's the case what, yeah absolutely what kind of reaction are you talking about we're just talking hives what are you looking for? The most the most common reactions in infants are vomiting. Vomiting is the most common reaction, which can be confusing cuz lots of because babies have babies, reflux yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, So anyway. Yeah, so I think, you yeah. know, I think what I what I tell people is let's put it into perspective, right? The vast majority of kids don't have allergies. So we know that like 94 to 96% of children do not have allergies. They're not going to have allergies. So you go into feeding recognizing my baby's probably not going to have allergies. I think if you go in looking for a problem, you're more likely to yeah. find it. But if you so go into true. it, yeah, if you go into it like comfortable and relaxed and recognizing my baby's probably not going to have allergies, then you can feel more comfortable and the baby's going to also feel more comfortable because I really believe that parents' anxiety is transferred to the child. Do you agree with that? Oh, so true. <laughs> yes, so, so true. Yeah. And that feeling and the, the environment around food and feeding um, is really important and it really does inform how that feeding session and how family meals go. Yeah. And that, ex that extends into, you know, far beyond infancy as well, which we could spend, a, you know, a whole another eight hours talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. And yeah. when it comes to allergies, you know, the guidelines recommend early and often. So they recommend for peanuts specifically. So we've got, um, we've got guidelines specifically on introducing peanuts and then we have sort of all the other allergens or the recommendations are slightly different. So when it comes to peanut, the recommendation is introduce early that by six months, you know, so early for earlier for those at risk kids for everybody else, it's like at, at around six months. And, um, the, the recommendation is early and often. So introduce early four to six months and then keep it in the diet. So that's another important piece that I think sometimes people forget. So when it comes to peanut, the this consistent exposure is more protective than just introducing one time and then not giving it to the baby again. When it comes to the other allergenic foods, you know, um, so the top eight allergies, by the way, are milk, eggs, peanut, tree nut, fish, shellfish, soy, and wheat. And all of those foods should be introduced by the first year. Um, peanut is the one that needs to be that the research supports this early introduction. And then egg is also really convincing for introducing early as a protection for the other mm. foods. There's less research, but we know that it's safe to introduce these foods early. So you might as well do it. They're also really nutrient rich foods too. Right, Melina? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. They are. They are. 
Um, and I think um, something to, to also talk about is that if you do have an infant where it is recommended that they are introduced to peanut early between four and six months, that may be a point at which baby led weaning is not indicated, especially mm. if it's, you know, on the earlier side. So, you know, sometimes around five and a half months, depending on when the baby was born, it could, you know, baby led weaning could work with, for example, a piece of toast with a, a thin layer of peanut butter spread on it. But if, if you have a four month old and it's time to introduce peanuts as a preventative against the development of food allergies, um, there are safe ways to do so that do not involve baby led weaning. And that's fine. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, definitely follow those recommendations. That's a great, great point. And so when I, so the NI, I've mentioned the NIAID guidelines. I'm going to put a link from the show notes to those guidelines. It's the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. Um, they actually have really great uh, recommendations and recipes on how to introduce for babies, young babies. They the, do. Yes. Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. And those and those recommendations powder. are to use thinned peanut butter. So you can take peanut butter and thin it with some warm breast milk or water and just make it a, a, a quite a thin slurry to give to the baby. That's really easy for them to manipulate and, and eat. Or you can um, mix it into solid food if they're already eating like cereal or applesauce. You can just mix it into that. You can use powdered peanut butter the same way. Um, and then the last one is, are you, I'm sure, I know you know this food, but, uh, but our listeners may not know Bamba, um, which is yeah. a brand of sort of a, it looks like a, it looks like a Cheeto, but it's made out of corn and yeah. peanuts. <laughs> and it's like a peanut butter Cheeto. It's delicious. And um, yeah, they really are so good. Yeah, <laughs> babies know, love it. And there are a number of different brands out there who make a similar product that's appropriate for babies. And you can actually just melt those in, in breast milk or warm water or formula, um, and then feed the baby that. And those those are safe ways to introduce that are not a choking hazard. Obviously, you never want to give a baby whole peanuts or even a glob of peanut butter because those can be right. choking hazards. Right. Right. I think the key, did you say this? The key to offer about two grams of peanut protein? I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, I, I, sometimes I talk about that and sometimes I don't, but, but I think it's a good point. If for those high risk babies, which is a smaller part part of the population, right? But those those high risk babies, the recommendation is two grams of peanut three times a week. So that's like two teaspoons of peanut butter, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for the general population, it's sort of an ad lib recommendation. Just eat, you know, just make sure that you're offering it regularly. I generally tell people like two or three times a week, you should be getting getting peanut butter into the baby's diet in some way. And I always talk about peanut butter because it's something that's available. And and you know, the research shows that like 90 plus percent of the population have at least one jar of peanut butter in the pantry. It's inexpensive. Mm -hmm. It's nutrient rich. And I think it's a food that most babies like the flavor of. So it's pretty easy to use peanut butter, but you can use a lot of other things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Definitely. So Melina, how can people learn more about this topic if they want to, if they want to bone up their, their, their education in this area, the things you would recommend for both the, the professional and the non-professional? Yeah. Well, for, so for professionals, um, I'm not sure if you had caught this wonderful session so there's a wonderful um, conference of dietitians every year called the Food uh, and Nutrition Conference and Expo that happens in different cities around the country. And in 2018, there was a fantastic session called Baby Knows Best, the Evidence and Controversy of Baby-Led Weaning, presented by Megan McMillan and Jessica Cole, who are two RDs who specialize in baby-led weaning. Um, I learned so much uh, at this wonderful session, and it's available 
um, you can listen to it um, on the Fancy uh, recorded sessions. Um, and then some books that I that I love, um, Gil Rapley and Tracy Mookett have a wonderful book called Baby Led Weaning. I think it's really sort of the the birth of baby led weaning mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and sort of the, the she's, they're the gurus of it. Um, Born to Eat is another favorite of yeah. mine by Wendy Jo Peterson and Leslie Schilling and that's two more RDs. I love Baby Led Feeding, another book by Jenna Helwig. Oh, I love that um, book. Yeah, it's so cute. It's uh-huh. so beautifully laid I love out. the recipes. Are gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. And of course, my book, uh, Simple and Safe Baby Led Weaning, which is available on Amazon um, and, it, and in stores as well. Um, so there's lots of, I mean, even in the past two years, there are many more resources mm-hmm. for this as more research has come out. And some of the questions um, that people have had about, you know, is there a higher risk of choking with baby led weaning? Is there, can, can baby get enough iron? Mm-hmm. We now have evidence and studies that have answered these questions in a really positive light for baby led weaning. That's great. The risk of choking is not higher in baby led weaning. It's, uh, in fact, you know, even somewhat the opposite. Hmm. Um, yeah, really interesting. Um, the more finger foods that are offered earlier, the less risk of choking down the road. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, now that we have this evidence, um, I really do encourage parents to get to know it a little bit and to trust their guts at the same time. Yeah. And there's no evidence that using a combined approach is detrimental. Um, purees are really just another texture. Um, you know, we eat yogurt and applesauce and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, beyond infancy and that's okay. And, you know, I think there's, there's sometimes a little bit of, um, fear even when it comes to baby led weaning about well if i if i offer a puree am i still doing it am i yeah. still and you know yes absolutely there's there's no need for that kind of binary uh approach yeah i love um that's great that's all great advice and really good resources i think you know when it comes to normal feeding you know i love ellen satter's definition of normal feeding and i'll put a link to that in the show notes too i know you love it most dietitians i know love that and one of the things she says about normal eating that i think is is it applies at every age and stage is that normal eating is flexible it's flexible and and when it comes to feeding babies and it comes to feeding adults we need to be flexible around nutrition and food and not try to be so rigid and i think with the emergence of baby led weeding that's the thing that i love the most is that we've seen this finally embracing of flexible feeding for babies like it doesn't have to be super rigid and in fact as evidenced by you know the conversation we've had today the more rigid we are the more we hinder normal feeding and i think you know when we're a little more flexible a little more relaxed the baby will be too oh i couldn't agree more i love that you just brought that up uh Truthfully, because even as we extend into toddlerhood and school age, um, I, I do specialize in picky eating as well. And um, when it comes to food and feeding, the more we try to put our own control and and sort of um, tell children what they should be eating, the more it kind of gets off track. And so that's one of the reasons why I love baby led weaning is because it gets baby off on the right foot. Children are so good at up and down regulating their mm-hmm. intake when we leave them alone <laughs> to mm-hmm. do it and mm-hmm. to lead the process themselves. And then that extends into toddlerhood and school age. Um, and we can avoid some of those pitfalls of food and feeding 
that Ellen Satter is so wonderful at helping us navigate. <laughs> so I love yeah. that you brought that up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Melina. Is there anything else, any parting words, things that you want to say to our listening audience? Oh my goodness. I don't think so. We, we said so much. Um, I, I think, you know, baby led weaning is a wonderful thing to, um, to explore. Um, and it's, it really is such a bonding eating with baby it's such a bonding experience. Um, if, if maybe if, if the listeners take nothing else from this discussion, I hope that they will sit and eat with baby mm-hmm. and we'll do some of that role modeling and connecting over food. Because um, at the end of the day, food, yes, it's nutrients, but it's also a moment for us as parents and children to connect and experience our culture and our traditions and, uh, and, and share. Um, and I think that is, some of the magic of food. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that. That's a great place to wrap up. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I think this has been a great conversation. Hopefully people who listen, moms who listen, dads who listen will feel more empowered about feeding their babies, more confident, less scared, and they'll walk away with some great resources. So, um, so thank you for joining us and thanks to our listeners. Thank you, girlfriends for joining us for this show. I hope that you found it helpful and exciting and inspiring. And if you did, and you know a mom or a girlfriend who needs to hear this information, please share it with a friend. Make sure that you um, rate the show, subscribe to the show, keep up with what we've got going on and, and pass it on to a girlfriend. And as we close the show today, we have a question that we ask at the end of every show, Melina. I'm going to ask Dee and then I'll ask you, um, what is one thing you're going to do to be healthier today? Well, like I said earlier, I'm super excited about the sunshine. It is cold, but I think I'm going to pop on a hat and gloves and go scout out the trail to see if I can skate later on in the week. So I'm going to take a nice long walk. (laughs) I thought surely you were going to say that you were going to go skating. (laughs) Well, it's been rainy and normally the trail is like a mess after. So I'm going to do a walk today just to see what it's looking like and then maybe later in the week. Good for you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What about you, Melina? You've already had your oh, walk this morning. Beautiful. Yes, I did in our in this very sunny 14 degree New York weather. It's cold. Oh, it's cold here. So I did that. But you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to rest. Oh, yes. good for you. That's something I never do. And I'm really <laughs> bad at it. And it's important. And I know it is. And I'm going to give it my best shot. Good for you. Good for that you. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I love that. Thank That's awesome. You, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to clean out my refrigerator. <laughs> I know that sounds like, what is that? Is that, a, is that something that's good for your health? The answer is yes. It is good for your health to clean out your refrigerator because when the refrigerator is disorganized and disheveled and there's old food in it, I, I'm i not as inspired about cooking and eating. I don't want to open the refrigerator. So I'm going <laughs> to clean it out, get everything organized, and that way when I go grocery shopping, I will have a clean slate to start with and a clean slate to start the week with too. <laughs> that's amazing. You know how I feel about that's, feng shui. Yes. So I think that's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for being with us, Melina, and thank you, Dee, as always, for being amazing and uh girlfriends thanks for listening and we will talk to you guys again very soon have a great day thank y'all bye thank you bye bye thank you so much